We interrupt this program to bring you the Utility Players Classified Results. Arsenal, nil. Aston Villa, three. Heart of Midlothian, two. Inverness Caledonian Thistle, one. Edinburgh Rugby, 18. Cardiff Blues, nil. Tennessee Titans, 24. Chicago Bears, 18. Hello, we are the Utility Players, I'm Ali, and I'm Rory, and welcome to our world of sport. Well, it seems to be that, as ever, as they have done over the last decade or so, Arsenal raise their fans' hopes up and give them a little bit to, to hold on to, only to pretty much pull the carpet out from underneath their feet straight away. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it certainly feels that way. It's kind of a case of same old, same old. Um, I mean, it was uninspiring to say the least on Sunday night. And it, it like, I watched, I mean, I watched the game in parts. I missed the first 30 minutes where I, I believe Arsenal were potentially at their worst. Um, and it felt like the, the structure was there, but the pl- individual player performance wasn't. There wasn't the creative spark. There was mistakes at the back. There was there wasn't a real quality from anyone on the pitch at all, really. Um, and it, and it felt like it felt like yeah, the individual players were, were the ones that were missing. Which, to be honest, fills me with a wee bit more hope because at the end of the day, every team's have days where their players don't turn up. It's it's not excusable, and 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 you want to work ways to get better, but. But every team has players where their players don't got, don't turn up. The best teams find ways of winning on those days. Um, but it, it didn't demoralise me as much as some crappy Arsenal performances we've seen over the past few years because it did feel like the structures were in place. It just felt like the individual quality and effort and work rate for from the the players, particularly the quality from the players, just wasn't there on the night. Yeah, I I didn't get a chance really to to watch this game. I haven't brought myself to watch watch the highlights yet, but from what from what you and other other Arsenal fans have, have spoken to have been saying, that sounds like it. I mean Arsenal just seemed to have this habit. And I was hoping Arteta would have, would have kicked it out of started to kick it out of them was was playing the play seemed to play at the level of what they deem their opponents are at. Um so you know the so called other big six teams often you see them sort of play up to that level and then they'll go and play against teams that are deemed to be lesser teams than than them and 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 they should be dominating and bullying and they play down you know to the level that they they think those teams are at. and as we're seeing in the Premier League especially this year is that that's just not the case you know that that doesn't exist anymore in terms of there being this huge divide um you know even even the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City who who arguably or are the best two teams you know that hasn't been the case when you're seeing the likes of Aston Villa to Everton and Southampton etc all, all up there at the top and rightly so you know it's not a case of you know they've had these teams haven't played against some of the biggest clubs they they have and 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 right and have the right to be there 
often, you know, after six, seven, eight games, it might be who the schedules sort of put you up against and then you hit a hard, a tough run of form. But I just think that Arsenal need to get their head out the sand a little bit and, and some of the players and, and actually realise that you have to turn up on any given week. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I mean, I'm not... At the end of the day, I don't want to get too down about it. At the same time, you don't want to get too overexcited when Arsenal play well, which I'm not very good at. But, um, like, it's one rubbish week and the signs are that things are still moving in the right direction. And this is, I think, maybe the first time under Arteta they've really gone against a, a smaller side and, and just put in a performance where they just didn't turn up. They might have lost to smaller sides and not been at their best, but I don't think we've seen a, just a kind of bombshell car crash performance like this. And, and, and actually, I say a smaller side, Aston Villa are a very, very good team. They've Well, over the course of the season so far, they've proved to be a very good team. And I think they've signed well. They've got quality all over the pitch and they fight for everything. And we just didn't have that fight. But this is where it's now as a team, they're talking about trusting the process at Arsenal. This is where they the the process has to be trusted. And they say, and, and they learn from this and they develop from this. I mean, Liverpool had had performances like this in the early Klopp years. They had times in the early Klopp years where it didn't look like it would come to be as good as it is now, but they trust the process and they grew. And I think that it was a rubbish night. It was a rubbish performance. Everyone would admit that. And it, it certainly set the team back, but setbacks is sometimes where the teams grow from. So I'm going to stay optimistic as I, as I always ever do. And to be honest, Ali, I'm over it. I put on Twitter about 10 minutes after the game was done, Premier League football doesn't matter anymore for the next two weeks. It's all about Scotland. It's all about Thursday night. It's all about trying to get trying to get Scotland into the Euros. And, and I'm, 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 I wasn't happy about it, but I'm over it. All I care about is Scotland now. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to them in a bit. But uh, talk about trusting the process, something that's starting to come through this season from Edinburgh. Um, two wins in a row uh, in the Pro 14, having lost the first three. And I think we've talked about it before, but the process and, and the style of rugby and the and the ethos uh, that's been put into to Edinburgh from Richard Cockrell um, was never to be doubted. And and a, and a dominating performance, you know, when you when you shut a team out in rugby and hold them to zero and score eighteen points on certainly a foggy a foggy Edinburgh night, it's great to see that. The, the team from the capital up here are, are starting to have some consistent success. I mean, yeah, he's a top, top coach, Richard Cockrell. He's been at the top of the game for a very long time. Obviously, had excellent success of Leicester Tigers for a number of years during their kind of dominant period. Of kind of, I think, five, ten years ago, he was at the helm and, and, and helped Leicester Tigers dominate in England and and go on and be competitive in Europe. And we're, and we're seeing here in Edinburgh that he's a top, top coach again. He's a inherited a team that are definitely a talent in it but have been underperforming for a while and he's and he's taken that talent he's given them a structure he's given them a ruthless streak and he's turned them into a team that's competitive into a team that gives Edinburgh which is a proud rugby city which has a lot of history and heritage and rugby some top top rugby clubs and he's given them a professional team that the city can hopefully be proud of and I think it's exciting times for Edinburgh at the moment I think the kind of shadow of their new stadium has been built in the back pitches at Murrayfield they've got a Eight, I think it's eight thousand seat of capacity stadium just been built in the in the kind of shadow of Murrayfield. There, the stands are up. They're just waiting, late, waiting to lay the artificial turf, and it doesn't look like it'll be long until they're in there. And, and too, I've seen pictures and seen video footage, and it looks fabulous. It looks exactly what Edinburgh need. They've, there's been a long, long period of it. I mean, Edinburgh's basically their whole history. They've never quite found the right home for them, and 
they now hope they're going to have the right home. They've got the right coach and, and they're getting the right results on the pitch. And it's going to be an exciting few years, hopefully, for Edinburgh going forward. Yeah, and what I like about the Edinburgh, you know, what they're doing, the, the squad they've got, they actually have depth now. You know, for such a long period of time, it was a case of you take the, the Scotland players out, you take a couple of injuries out and and you, you're you fighting against it. I mean, with the team that was playing last night, you've got Mark Bennett, you've got Henry Pergos, you've got Marcus Bragbury, Luke Cosby, you know, that's just to name a four of, of international quality players who have international experience and you, and you put them in that Scotland squad and they wouldn't look out of place, you know? And so the fact that they have this this strength and also still a Scottish core. Yes, like most rugby uh, teams now, there's a, there's a South African influence, a, a New Zealand influence, uh, etc. We're starting to see more and more movement in the in the world of rugby, but there still is a fundamental Scottish core there, which I think is holding it in good stead. Yeah, for sure. And, and actually, I want to credit the SRU in some of this and, and testament of how they've developed as a as a rugby organization over the past sort of eight ten years and i think what we're seeing now is we're seeing the fruits of that because the SOU put a lot into their youth development their pathway programs their edinburgh under 16 scotland under 16s under 18s under 20s etc and, and they put a lot into developing young players at a high level at a young age and i was lucky enough to be aware of some of these processes involved with some of these processes and i've seen how players have developed through the SOU pathway systems which kind of grew over the past five seven years into a much more structured system than they were before and i think we're now starting to see the fruits of that we've talked previously about how the scotland team has had an influx of young players come into it and developing that jersey maybe slightly earlier than they would have wanted but showing that they have the talent to to be top players at international level and we look at only the last Scotland game with Darcy Graham and Magnus Bradley and the, and the Fagersons and Blair Kinghorn and Anne Hastings all being involved. You, they're, they're the kind of example of the fruits of how the youth system and how young players are now growing within Scotland. And and that is feeding into the clubs as well. Obviously, Glasgow are maybe quicker off the mark than Edinburgh and growing as a side and becoming a competitive side. But now... Edinburgh as well is is seeing the is seeing it grow and seeing these Scottish players coming through who are top players and being competitive and coming through with experience playing at the highest level. I mean, Luke Crosby is someone who stood out massively. He's a still a young player, come through that academy system, come through Scotland under eighteens, under twenties, and 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 he's and people are talking about him knocking on the door at the Scotland squad. Now, obviously, the back row is very competitive. I think I mentioned last week how Jamie Ritchie and Hamish Watson are potentially two of the best flanker combinations we've had in a very long time. And it's going to be hard for him to, to get into that team because there are so many good players. But that's the, that's the problem you want to have at Scotland. That is the competition you want to have, both at club level and international level. And it seems that the SONU need to be credited slightly because they've grown the youth rugby and, the, and, and, you, and now the professional game is, is benefiting from that. Yeah, and, and we'll see international rugby come back this weekend with this kind of this almost championship style autumn internationals, which will be exciting to see how how that happens. Be put into different groups. They'll be in Group B. Got games against Fiji, France, and and Italy, and and slightly different. You know, just add a bit more competitive nature to it, but potentially. Um, but it's going to be really intriguing to see how how that progresses with with international rugby coming back. What's also about this week? The majors, golf. At autumn, or almost it's winter, but autumn winter masters for the first time in its in its history. No fans, even though the uh, former president now, uh, Donald Trump, obviously 
pending his legal challenge, said a number of months ago that he was targeting having the fans full in Augusta. um, And it's not going to come to that. So my question to you, Rory, is no fans in the stands. We've talked about the last couple of months, having an effect on things like football and rugby. No fans in the stands. Who does it benefit more? Rory McIlroy, Bryson DeChambeau or Brooks Kepka? If you had to pick one of those three right now before a ball's hit Tuesday, who are you picking? Interesting. Um, well, I think first of all, just on the fans and the stands, I think that this is a bit of a different situation. We've seen fans in the stands kind of affect sport, change people's mentalities. Maybe in some cases feel like it's like downplayed or not devalued, but maybe reduced kind of the spectacle around the sport. But I think this is going to be different because Augusta is so iconic. And it is so unique and it is so famous and infamous and grand in just the structure of itself, the, the, all the pine trees and, and, the, and the famous holes and, and, the, and the kind of natural amphitheater that exists there. So I think that the, you're still going to get like the pressure and the kind of excitement from being at Augusta, even if there isn't fans to amplify that. So I don't think it's going to be a case, as some competitions is, where the players can just relax a little bit more because they don't have that extra presser. I think that in saying that, I think that Rory McIlroy will be will hopefully benefit from it slightly because it because he has generally struggled at Augusta and has bad memories there. So maybe it will just focus the mind a bit more, just being him and himself. We'll see what happens. But I I, I still think he has a problem with Augusta, and I don't think that's going to go away by taking taking away the fans. I'd love to be proved wrong. Everyone knows how I've got a soft spot for Rory and I will be cheering him on. But I, it does feel like something about the place just doesn't connect with him. And, he, and he's done well, but he's he not been able to go over that line. Obviously, famously fallen away well, a number of years ago now. I think 2011 comes in mind. I can't quite remember the year. I think I think you can't look past Bryson, to be honest. I think he's he's proved how good he can be in the current conditions in golf. He, he also proves that he can G himself up for the big occasions. And and I think that he is just probably the most dangerous player in world golf right now. I think that of them three, he's the one I'm leaning towards. I think Brooks Kepter has obviously done brilliantly at the majors and definitely wouldn't write him, not saying I'm writing him off at all. Maybe I'm sitting on the fence slightly between those two, but I'm, I'm going to go for Bryson. I, I think out of those two, Bryson's the answer. Purely because... He can get in his own head. We've, we've we've seen it. You know, he can he can let the occasion. If he's just left to go about the way he, he do things his own way and his style, then then we've seen the the success of that. But I think what can can derail him a little bit, as you say, is even though there is a natural amphitheater, I think the Masters more than anything with the patrons as they're called, you know, have a have a power over the. The people, and it's why I stuck Rory in there because I do think it is going to help it because the hangover effect. And and we said we said about it, I think with with, with some clubs like Arsenal, Scotland, Scotland Rugby, where if things aren't quite going right and the crowd turns on you, and there's a kind of whispering and there's the kind of uncertainty that that sits around, you know what an effect that can have. And I think when Bryson does. Uh, you know, get in his own head or or things don't quite, you know, calculate how he wants to or something like that. I th- I think he will not have the sort of, because he's very divisive in the way he plays his golf, you know, and there is a very much a tradition to to the patrons and the way that Augusta sees itself as this pinnacle and pillar of, 
of American tradition in golf and and doing things the right way and and the history of it. And with and with that being the case, is that this sort of bullying the course? I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to do things one way. I'm not necessarily necessarily warms to to the type of. Uh, you know, member patron of, of Augusta. And, and and when almost, if things aren't quite going his own way, that kind of pleasure in seeing the modern type of of way of approaching it differing uh, and not working. Similar to Rory, that, you know, we've said a number of times that throughout four rounds, he, he will often have three outstanding rounds and a round that really lets him down. Again, Will that kind of whispering feeling that I'm sure he gets of oh here we go again from whenever you said it was 2011 or wherever he completely lost it on the on the last day? What 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 happens if there's not that feeling of oh here we go again? The extra whispers and pressure and and the reason I I, I threw Brooks in there is again you know people think you know Brooks is someone who who gets going by the crowd etc. But Brooks, he, when it comes to major time, he just wants to get into his own bubble. You know, we've seen the likes of Tiger over the years, of you know John Ram more recently. These people who want to get the crowd on side, who want to feed off that energy. And I think those three, especially Bryson and Brooks, just want to get in their own bubble and not worry about anyone else. You know, Molinari, someone else I could I could think of who had success with that in the Open a number of years ago at Canusti. But I think those three, potentially the three who might benefit the most from, from not having crowds for, for different reasons. Possibly. But then also, what about, I mean, the younger guys, the guys that are fresh face, the guys who are maybe playing their first or second or early Masters and maybe would have had the potential to be overawed by it all, actually maybe could go in with a bit more freedom and a bit more confidence and a bit and a bit less to worry about obviously he's still got to tackle with the kind of pressure of being out augusta which i think will never really leave but at the same time there could well be a, a well uh, an extra confidence or an extra uh, extra or, or dampened of the nerves because they don't have also to worry about the fans and all the patrons as they call them i mean we saw morikawa win win a major early in the year as as one of the newest members or one of the newest top players on tour. And, and I wonder whether we could have one of the new young top players at least putting in a, a top 10 performance this week, if not if not going on and winning the thing, because that's it's different circumstances you'd be going to going to Augusta than you might not be going to previously. I mean, I, I don't know to my head. It depends how many of these young golfers have played Augusta before, because they say that you need at least one round to get to know to get to know the course, to get to know the, the lay of the land, the shapes of the shots you need, etc. I mean, as as true to form of a moment is one person we're not speaking about here, I haven't spoken about Dustin Johnson. You know, you look at his form in the last uh, well, the last number of months. He was second in Houston, sixth at the US, first at the Tour Championship, second at the BMW, first at the Northern Trust, second at the PAGA Championship. 12th at the last World Golf Championship, FedEx. You know, the form he's had now, yes, that was over a long period of time now, looking back to the end of the, the summer and we're into November. But again, he's always dangerous when he's kind of that forgotten man. Justin Thomas, another one who had an outstanding finish to the to the season as well. And it's going to be really intriguing to, to see how these players react. Not a lot of them have played a huge amount of golf in terms of competitive golf, just because of the time of year it is. Now, who is going to be able to go away? You know, they hit thousands of balls a day. They go back to their their homes where they've got driving ranges and putting greens and they've got the local golf courses and they'll be drilling and everything else. But but who's going to be able 
to use that time most productively and come in that little bit cold maybe uh, from actual competition and, and who's that going to benefit the most? Yeah, but then you look, you say that and, and you're right, there's a lot of top players who haven't played as much competitive golf as they certainly usually would have done and they would have liked to do. But someone who's not in that bracket and who's playing very, very well is Tyrrell Hatton. Obviously doing very well in the European Tour, winning some of the top end of season events and and then moving over to America and, and bowling through the last rounds of the PGA Tour, getting getting a couple of top 10 finishes and and is arguably in the form of his life and certainly growing as a golfer and growing as a competitive golfer who's proving that he's got the capabilities to be at the top. I mean, he won at Wentworth only four weeks ago or something. So I think someone who is on good form, who is winning and is 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 golf ready, is competitive golf ready, is Tyrrell Hatton. He is someone that definitely could be could be worth watching or worth a little flutter on before the competition starts because I, he might not have kind of top five, top ten odds, but I think he's certainly going to be dangerous coming into Augusta. It's his fourth time now there. He said he has experience of the course. He knows what it's like around Augusta. He's, he's not that I can remember had a, a, maybe a, a year where he's really torn it up, but he's coming in on, on the form of his life and potentially has potential to do really well. Yeah, no, uh, hugely interesting. A Masters like we've, we've never seen. I'm so excited. Uh, the person I'm most excited is, is Bernard Langer. You know, the evergreen Bernard Langer, who, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, will end up making the cut, will will end up being in the top five probably after round one. You know, the story is the Champions Tour, and uh, and he he's just an incredible standard of golfer for, for his age. And I always enjoy when we come to these majors, he, he always seems to perform. Yeah, I mean, but that's what the Masters about, isn't it? It's these kind of greats of the game are all kind of around the whole thing whether they get a chance to come back and play or they're there just there or they have the kind of Nicholas first drive to kind of start the competition and and it's just I love the Open and for me the Open will always be the top major I think that's my British tendencies but in terms of like a spectacle and in terms of something that's just got a real nice history behind it I don't think you can top the Masters in many regards and and it is one of the the most enjoyable one of my favorite com- sporting competitions to watch in the calendar year and I'm just really glad that it's going ahead no I mean you're absolutely right and maybe this is a debate for another time but I mean the Open is unequivocally the, the best championship in the world purely because that's how golf was designed to be played that that is what golf is um from the from the very architect of when it was created in Scotland um, that that is how golf was meant to be played so uh, and that can't be replicated with the courses they play on but uh, and talking of architects of of sport take taking on to a sporting event Rory, that I never really follow but I love the concept of it and I know it's something you 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 might follow slightly closer to, to me previously and that's the state of origin and we saw the state of origin kick back off for 2020 this week with Queensland beating New South Wales 1814 and for those who might not know, quite know what state of origin is a state of origins uh, rugby league in australia where two teams come together and it's based on not where you currently play your rugby or what team you play for but is based on where you originate and where you were born and where you grew up and where you apply your trade so someone who was born in new south wales but plays for the brisbane broncos would go back and play for New South Wales in this. And I love concepts like this. I love the idea. It's the same reason I love things like the Ryder Cup 
and the Davis Cup and things like this where club and money and individual reasons going is just torn aside. And even in things like football, which is international football, should really be that, it doesn't have the same pull. You know, we see that by the fact that players opt out from international football and retire to continue their club careers. I might be wrong, but the pinnacle and the top to these players is not playing for Australia. It's playing for either Queensland or New South Wales. And that draw of of that loyalty and that passion of, I come from here, this is my territory, I'm going to fight every inch for it. I just, I love it. I really, really, really do. And I've had conversations with friends in the past around the Ryder Cup and big debate about whether we consider ourselves European or not. Uh, And and I always go back to the the Ryder Cup. I consider myself Scottish and I'm not Scottish and British, not British, then I'm European. If I'm not, you know, and always make that joke that if if we ever came across life on another planet and we had an intergalactic game of football, of course, I'd be supporting the planet Earth, you know, and and go on and, and so forth. And if the Milky Way ever had a team against another star, you know, etc. But I just, I just love it, and it, it's something that can't be rivaled. It's, it's sports, and it's loyalty, and it's passion at its absolute core, and what it is about. And I, I say, don't watch it enough, but when I do, the whole concept of it, I think, is absolutely brilliant. Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more. I was lucky enough to be in Queensland for, for State of Origin four or five years ago, at least the first two games of State of Origin, and it was fantastic. It it totally transcended all kind of sporting borders and sporting barriers that we like to create. And I think the best things about stuff like this and international sport and team sport that's not based around the club with business and infrastructure, etc., is that it brings people into sport who potentially don't follow rugby league or football or whatever it is, because it's not about... Because people who can... People can not have a team and therefore find it hard to watch the Premier League or the NRL every weekend. But as soon as their country's playing or their state in this situation is playing, they can get behind them because they've got something to support. They've got something to cheer about. And it just transcends some borders. And everyone in Queensland and New South Wales gets into it, whether they're a rugby league fan or not. They have big parties, go around to each other's houses. I mean, cheer on the Maroons, cheer on the Blues. I mean, if you told me we were talking about this, I'd have put my Maroons bucket hand on for the recording, <laughs> which was my leaving present when I left Australia because that's how much that was a big part about the fact that I live in Queensland, I'm now a Maroon and I'll always be a Maroon. And that's just, and that's how it works. And, and it's great. And I love it. And it makes sport accessible to people. I mean, you say international football, maybe it lacks that and it does lack that for a large extent, but then you see the world cup come around and you see when England or Scotland, I mean, we don't, <laughs> I say I was going to say Scotland, we hopefully we'll see it this summer, but we've not seen it with Scotland yet, but looking at England, you see how the world cup or the Euros can unite England as a nation around football when when they aren't so for the rest of the kind of two, four-year cycle. And we saw the, tw- the summer of 2018 when England got to the semi-final and how the English population celebrated that and how the bars and the pubs were full and it was like a kind of party summer with the nice weather and it was and it was great and everyone still talks about it now, how kind of life peaked then and it's been going downhill ever since. And And that's what international sport or kind of representative sport has the capacity to do. And and I think that's what State of Origin does best. It gets the people of Queensland, the people of New South Wales, passionate about their state and passionate about rugby league when they might not be passionate about rugby league for the rest of the year. 
and I think it's an amazing concept. I think it's a it's and it's and it's competitive, and it's it's probably the highest standard rugby league you're going to see because Australia, other than New Zealand, maybe dominate rugby league. And it's and yeah, I couldn't agree with them all. He said I think it's absolutely brilliant, and hopefully Maroons go on and make it a three 0 whitewash. Yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying, and and what you've described is, is fandom. But what, what I love about this last thing, sir, is these are fans that are playing the game. It is a case of you know, if you're from a certain part of a city, you know, you support your local team, whether whatever sport that is, and that how they do on a Wednesday night or a Saturday afternoon or whatever else is for that ninety minutes, eighty minutes, five days if it's a test match. Um, you know, you you give your all and you're and you're a fan and stuff like that. But but you know, how many stories do we see in the news about such and such doesn't want to play for this club anymore? So, you know, such and such is trying to get out. Such and such isn't going to resign. You know, such and such, whatever else, and they're doing it for their own, you know, interest in their own careers, and I, and I do get that, you know, because it's a it's a short period being an international athlete or a professional athlete, and you need to make as the best you can out of it. You know, we even saw this this summer about Lionel Messi and continuity rumors. You know, someone who is, I was going to say Barcelona through and through. He's from he's from Argentina, but you know, Barcelona through and through. When it comes to the state of origin, all that is ripped apart. You are a rugby player, but you are also a fan. You 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 live and breathe, and you would never not consider turning up for your your state and where you're from, and 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 that passion that comes with it. I I, I would urge anyone who has the capacity and, and chance to to go and watch it, even if you don't follow rugby league. It, it it's a different level, uh, and it, and I, and I love it. And we've alluded to it already, Rory. Passion and, and everything on the table. Thursday night here in the UK, Scotland have the chance to, what, to, uh, 1998 was the last time. Uh, Tom Boyd scored an own goal against Brazil to lose 2-1 in the opening game of that World Cup. Uh, there was hope in Scottish football back then. There's been flittering bits of hope since then, but is it finally time? 2020, it's been a weird year. It's been a weird year. 22 years on, is it time for Scotland to get back to a major tournament? God, you're making my palms sweaty just talking about it. I'm, get, I'm honestly getting butterflies in my belly right now, and it's still about two days until the actual game goes. But I think, I mean, I, I want I want to manage my expectations because we know what Scotland are like. We know how they have the capacity to lead us on and then let us down. And and it's it's really important to remember that Serbia are in the same boat. Serbia in their history as a footballing nation have never got to a major tournament. And, and and there's a big belief around the country that they've deserved to be in major tournaments previously and, and this is their chance to do so. And they have top, top players and, and they are going to be a difficult, difficult opposition. Scotland probably do go into this as the underdog. So I think we need to manage our expectations slightly. But at the same time, <laughs> I can't help but get optimistic as I always do about Scottish football, which is probably why I always get so disappointed when they lose. I think Stevie Clock's found a may create a team that, that's difficult to beat. I think the three at the back makes them look look solid. They look they look def- defensively sound, which is really important for these big games. And I think they're a team that's going to c- turn up and they're going to compete and they're going to fight and they're going to and they're going to make it a difficult game for Serbia. And that's all you can really ask in these big games. And then hope when it comes to it, you have that kind of moment of quality to to get that goal to to turn the game to to get over the line. And even if it is as we saw in the semi-final, having that quality in the, in the penalty shootout to score five from five and, and get your team through. I mean, we'll, we'll take anything at this stage. 
losing Ryan Fraser is a big loss. He he showed the quality he could, he had and and the partnership he had with Lyndon Dykes up front. I think they would have almost certainly started up front and would have been a led, led the line for Scotland well. But we've also got Lee Griffiths back now, who seems to have found some form and, and, and scored a brilliant goal against Aberdeen in the league a few weeks back. And, and we know what he can do in a Scotland shirt. So maybe it's his chance to come in and prove again how he can be a hero for Scotland. Or, or maybe it's a way for Ryan Christie to get back in the team who before he got, got COVID issues in the last camp and scored seven goals in his last seven Scotland games and, and would be undroppable before the last international round. So... They do have quality to come into a place run phase and they have quality across the team. If you look at them of Premier League players in that team now, you look, John McGinn is showing how good he is in the Premier League. Scott McTominay has started most games for Man United this year. We mentioned Ryan Fraser, obviously injured, but Andy Robertson, one of the best players in the league. Kieran Tierney comes back in. These are players who are playing at the top of the game. And you you hope now with that quality, they they should have the quality to do it. It'll just come down to whether they can do it. I mean, it's going to be one of two ways. It's going to be 4-0 Serbia or it's going to be one nil Scotland. <laughs> we're all, yeah, it's not going to be five nil Scotland. <laughs> uh, that's the, I think that is one thing. It is not going to be. I think us Scotland fans are going to be in for a for a nerve wracking night, and it's going. It's almost such a fitting way. I think it is against a team like Serbia because how much it means to both. I think it's obviously going to be heartbreaking for one of them, but again, I, I think it's it's almost better this way because it leads to a more dramatic affair and I think it's going to be something that, that lives long in the memory there's also you know two other important mm. fixtures which which almost are getting lost in the wash a little bit here you know Stevie Clark came in and inherited a side that had been really poor under Alex McLeish and has done incredibly well to, to get them to where they are with a chance to get to to the Euros this uh, this summer uh, or next summer, I should say. But they're also sitting top of their group in the Nations League. And get four points from those two games, you win the Nations League and you're into tier A. Yeah, no, and it and that they in any normal circumstances, they'd be big games in themselves and we'd be getting excited for those. And they are, they're huge. I think not only do they get you into tier A, which is would be a massive for a team like Scotland to put them up well up the world ranking. Steve Clark was saying, and also it gives them a shot of 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 the World Cup as well if the qualifying group doesn't go well next year. So it it does a lot for them winning that group, and they shouldn't be forgotten. But the old average in, in sport is take one game at a time, and and you certainly don't want to be worrying about those games when you got Serbia. And I think it was interesting what you say. It's it's a big game for both teams, the Serbia game, and I think it is. And I think I think it will be a cagey affair. You were joking that it'll either be four 0 Serbia or or one 0 Scotland, and I think you are possibly right there. But I think I actually either way, I can't see either team running away with it because when it you saw it in the Israel game, when it means so much to both nations, both nations don't want to lose. They want to set up to make sure they don't concede goals. They want to set up so they're solid. And I think that will create a, a cagey affair again. It might not be a classic in terms of the football, but I think it'll be a classic in terms of the tension and the passion and what it means. And and I'm really excited. And, I, and what I would love, I would love, I love a two 0 lead. I would love a two 0 lead because I, I I can see Scotland scoring, but as I I don't trust Scotland if they're one 0 up. I can see it happening, going one 0 up and then scoring two, conceding two second half goals or conceding a goal to go to extra time and, and losing on penalties. It's it's happened before, so I would love certainly in the first half or kind of by 50, 60 minutes to take a two 0 lead, and that is when I'll I'll 
be happy. If we go one 0 up, I I can't see myself being happy at that stage. <laughs> uh, well, I think the uh, we all know what the lead story on next uh, next week's episode will be. Uh, there will either be a very happy or very grumpy set of uh, <laughs> utility players. Um, finally, a slightly longer longer version of uh, of the weekly roundup this week. The Utility Players Weekly Roundup. A couple of excellent weeks from Rafael Nadal. Not only did he surpass a 1,000 ATP Tour wins, this week he's also broken Jimmy Connor's record of 790 weeks within the world's top 10. A record that has been standing for, for decades. And again, it goes back to a conversation that, that myself and Rory had a number of weeks ago about is Nadal often seen in the shadows of Federer, almost a little bit like Mickelson is with Woods. And in another generation, another time, would Nadal be more appreciated? We also saw the end to the netball, uh, with England losing 3-0 to New Zealand. A well-fought affair, with England certainly showing their development and their continued improvement in netball. But New Zealand, showing their class, is still the best team in the world. And finally, in the IPL Women's Challenge Trophy. The Trailblazers beat the Supernovas by 16 runs with England's Sophie Eccleston helping the Trailblazers to win. An outstanding tournament and great to see the development of women's cricket in more and more franchises. Well, thank you for joining us this week. We uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. As I said, there will be either a very buoyant or very disgruntled set of utility players. But either way, we look forward to you joining us and, uh, and, and going along the journey with us. And until then, stay safe.